and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, Jason Williamson of the amazing band Sleaford Mods. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, and he will get the message to me. Or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at left for Damien. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is just by telling all your friends about it, letting everyone know that you know that you enjoy this podcast right here each and every time we put one up, which is about two a week now. We seem to be doing about two a week. You can also support the show by subscribing to it and rating it on your podcast platform of choice or by heading over to patreon.com slash 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 turned out a punk and uh, thank you, thank you, thank you to all the people that do that over there at Patreon and support the show. And uh, I really can't thank you enough for doing that. It really helps us uh, keep this thing going over here. And speaking of thanks, I got to give my thanks to the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, do this show. Just don't lose money out at doing it. So just don't do it out of your own pocket anymore. And so they helped me cover the costs over here. And for that, I very much thank them because they just let me do what I want. I can book whoever I want to book and, uh, they just help me cover the costs of doing this thing, uh, for everyone. So thank you very much to Vans. And one day when that house of Vans comes back, oh my gosh, oh, the first house of Vans that can come back after this thing. Holy, I am excited for that. All right. Oh, all right. But, uh, enough dreaming about the future on to today's show today on the show, Jason Williamson, uh, from the band Sleaford Mods, a band that when they first came out kind of kind of set the world on its ear with a new sound that they were doing. They've been now around for a few years and keep keep finding new places to take it. Now, Jason's someone I've always wanted to have a, a you know a prolonged sort of conversation with or, or a longer conversation with. The only time I met him was briefly outside of the hotel at Primavera Sound years ago, and so now here we are and and we get to we get to nerd out about this stuff. So. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. This one's a short one, so I'm going to keep this short and sweet as well. Check out their brand new record, though, Spare Ribs, out on the legendary Rough Trade Records. And uh, you can pick that up now or listen to it now or or consume it however you consume music in 2021. There are many ways to consume music now, so consume as you will. Consume those Spare Ribs as you will. And while you're doing that, or before you do that, because I guess you can't really listen to that while you listen to this. Well, you could put that on low in the background, put this up higher, or, you know, you, you could. But it's better if you listen to this separately and then listen to that. Or listen to that and then whatever you decide to do. Anyway, here's Jason Williamson on Turned Out a Punk. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. No problem at all. Nice to speak to you. How you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, it's a, uh, it's a weird time as everyone keeps saying. Yep. So yep. we won't have to talk about that. I promise you, uh, <laughs> we're just going to talk about <laughs> nerdy music shit. Uh, but I wanted to start this thing off the way they all start off, which is Jason, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Yeah. Uh, it was about 10. Uh, my stepbrother introduced me to, uh, his record collection, which was basically the sex pistols, 
with other assorted second wave punk bands like the Exploited, uh, 999, uh, Antipasti. So, uh, so yeah, I was about 10 and, um, yeah, I got into the pistols really, really heavily into the pistols for a couple of years. And what, what was it about that stuff that kind of drew you to it, uh, especially the pistols out of all those other bands? Um, because, well, at the time that this was like 1980, so, uh, people still were quite shocked by the idea of the sex pistols. Uh, they were considered to be a very, um, just a really weird, inaccessible band, uh, and completely, um, repulsed by, by, by the working classes, even though they were a working class band, you know, uh, now they're associated with working class culture quite a lot, but back then they were considered to be quite aloof, quite posh, a bit arty, um, so, so yeah, you know, I mean, it was a real, they were a real powerful entity. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I guess around that time also because of the British independent music charts, like weird punk bands, like I think the exploited were even on top of the pops, but sure. like bands would pop up there. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, at its time, you know, definitely without a doubt. So where did you kind of go? You know, obviously you're very young at this point, uh -huh. like, but where'd you kind of go from there music wise? Were you uh, like into music prior to that? Or I went, I didn't go too far when I got in, I got bang into the jam who were, yeah. you know, they, they came up around the same time uh, and they were part of the punk movement to a certain degree. Um, but yeah, I got heavily into the jam and all things mod orientated. Uh, and and so went from the jam into stuff like Tamla Motown, uh, a bit of Northern Soul uh, and so and, and so forth. What about bands like The Secret Affair? Because there was kind of like that that sort of like second mod revival uh -huh. after the jam kind of blew up. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, they weren't, uh, I wasn't really bothered at the time, but these days I think bands like secret affair, Merton Parker's sound actually better. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, time's been kind to them. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. No, a hundred percent. Like those bands also, it's funny how, just you know like certain stuff gets canonized and other stuff just kind of gets forgotten a little bit because yes. those bands were were popular yeah they were people forget you know that uh you know these bands were riding high in the charts and, and you know making a fair bit of money from it you know what i mean but um mm -hmm. you know things get buried very quickly but uh but yeah that's an interesting point what about like because I, I know you're from around nottingham right uh-huh was what about this stuff like the earache stuff and and napalm death and all those bands that were kind of popping off around the same time uh no no never got into him i know mick harris quite well uh mm -hmm. he used to drum for napalm death uh and uh i know him really well actually and done i've done a couple of stuff for his side project scorn uh but um apart from that no i never got into it but now, uh, again, these, these bands just sound really interesting. You know, at the time I wasn't bothered. I was very one-dimensional mod. Uh, nothing else really interested me. You know what I mean? Well, it's funny, too, because you had to, like, pick a side back then in a real way because you only had so much money to buy music, so much money to buy clothes, where now it's like you can listen to everything. It's not like the same sort of tribal feel. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah, really good point, actually, that. Uh, really interesting. Definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, you were kind of sidelined by by wanting to get into anything else because purely because, you know, the, the selection was so few and far between because, because of finances. Yeah, I agree, totally, yeah. 
So where did you kind of go um, as far as like local music wise? Were there local bands playing or what? actually before that, sorry, what was your first show that you went to or concert? Uh, Public Enemy at Rock City in 1987 with uh, a little cool Jane, Eric B what a uh, show yeah so that was kind of like when Def Jam had sweeped uh you know America and obviously England with the Beastie Boys as well uh it uh then it all kind of kicked off didn't it so so yeah I got heavily into Public Enemy really well LL Cool J initially and then Eric B and Rakim with a paid in full album uh and then I discovered Public Enemy which were just com- like n- nothing sounded like it it was just really fucking just weird uh and um yeah definitely you know i mean that i got a ticket went along to see that and it was a you know what i'll never forget it it was a real powerful gig was it like a how big is that venue was it like like thousands of people or is it still relatively small 2300 um so yeah when it gets packed it gets packed but um but that they came out on the stage i bought yo bum rush's show uh you know i liked it. it it was it was interesting weird um but when they came out on stage, it, it completely it blew me away. It was unreal uh, to see them back in the day with the SW1s and the kind of air raid sirens going off. Uh, it's, it's black punk, you know what I mean, really. Absolutely. And I guess going back before that, when you were going to kind of more of the mod stuff, was it more going to like uh, Northern Soul Nights or like where was where were you kind of like communing with other people into that stuff? Uh, just, just in your bedroom generally, you know, I didn't really associate with any kind of, uh, events or uh, scooter rallies. I went to a few times, but it didn't really appeal to me. I was more into just the music and, uh, you know, just, just trying to vibe off that really. And where were you buying records at this time? Just around local record shops, uh, in Grantham where I was from, small town, just outside of Nottingham. And, uh, you know, when I was old enough, then it would be trips to London, trips to Nottingham uh, to, to access these record stores, uh, you know, the bigger record stores. And when did you start kind of playing music? Oh, 20, about 21 years of age. Uh, I started singing in college bands uh, and just experimenting with the idea of being a singer. Uh, I started learn, to learn guitar around 23, 24 uh and uh yeah it just went from there really so i you know in researching and kind of reading up before this i I came across like you did stuff with spiritualized at some point um i did some stuff with two of the members uh tony and kev drummer and the guitarist uh we were in a a kind of doing a project but that got sidelined as soon as they uh they got the job with spiritualized (laughs) back back in the 90s you know spiritualized were very much uh they were kind of really folk, uh, a focused band, you know, they were quite a big band. So, um, yep. and still are, you know, <laughs> absolutely no disrespect to them, but they still are. Yeah, completely. So, so yeah, obviously they went where they went where the, uh, you know, the real experience was, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, they actually played a show here on top of the CN Tower. And at one point it was the highest concert ever held in the world. Ooh. Wow. Wow. And, uh, but then someone played a show on, you know, a mountain and of course it, it destroyed that record, you know, <laughs> shattered it. But. Um, so were you a fan of Spaceman 3 at all or, or into that kind of stuff? No, no, I wasn't bothered, you know. I, I, I was kind of very much meat and potatoes. And uh, I went to a comprehensive, generally working class school where where it was either the jam or 
you know, early U2, mm-hmm. Spandau Ballet, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. I found that rock and psychedelia, 70s rock, 60s R&B, psychedelia, all of the good stuff from that period generally was more celebrated uh, at the local grammar school. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't until I met friends from that grammar school when I went to, to college to try and further my education uh, that I started listening to bands like that. I, I hadn't listened to Led Zeppelin until I was 21, you know. So that kind of gives you an idea of uh, how kind of cut off my, my, me and my, my friends were at school from it. It's so funny how different, you know, like cultures are on different parts of this world, obviously, but like, just like, you know, Led Zeppelin is very much like working class, classic rock radio is what Mm -hmm. North American kind of like, you know, music, working class music is, but it's so different how it's, it's it's so, it's so, also I feel just in general, England and the UK feels like it's a lot more on, on trend or in a lot more kind of forward looking as in terms of music. Yeah, I think to a certain degree, I think um, America trailblazes with hip hop mm-hmm. uh, oh, yeah. completely. Um, and so I think hip hop has taken over really everything uh, and still remains to be the more poignant style of music that offers a fresher outlook in the sense of uh, uh, a musical creative, you know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah, I suppose so. You know, there's little pockets of ideas going off in England that, that you know, you're not going to find in America. And uh, uh, so in that sense, yes, I agree. Yeah. To a certain degree anyway, you know, it's not, it's not, it used to be great, but we're not as We're not as great as we were. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what was the vibe of the first sort of music project that you did? It was kind of indie, you know, wishy-washy guitar bullshit. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, not really not really my thing at all. So, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, you, you just love, I just love performing. And, and it was yeah. great to try and get, get doing some of that, you know what I mean? Do you remember the first time you ever got on stage and performed? Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, absolutely terrible. <laughs> yeah. We, we were supporting a punk band, the local punk band, and they just wiped the floor with us, you know what I mean? It was so dynamic and loud and uh you know confident um yeah what was the band it was uh, i forgot what they were called but the guy kept comes on with a mask on and then just throws the mask in the audience and starts and starts singing i thought that was really good oh that's awesome yeah yeah what like what about bands like the Voorhees and all that kind of stuff was that on your radar at all in the 90s like that was happening like um you know like kind of in leads and things like that there was like a, a sort of a rise of a bit of a working class hardcore scene for a while uh no not at all hardcore mm-hmm. scene totally passed me by all of it passed me by you know even the greats like you know i don't know uh black flag you know what i mean etc mm-hmm. uh completely passed me by just in terms of your vocal sound like it obviously you know it's something completely new and you're doing something really unique but it falls in this tradition of sort of you know, like, like punk poetry, almost like John Cooper Clark uh-huh. and obviously Marky Smith and people like that. Uh-huh. Were, were those people on your radar at all? Or is, is your influence coming mainly from hip hop? Yeah, just from hip hop. Yeah, they, they were, I, I was aware of these people, but they weren't, they didn't really say anything to me. It wasn't really something that um, I got into, you know, I got solely into rap and uh, the mechanisms around rap and the idea of it. And uh uh, and then try to apply myself to that. Do you know what I mean? Do you remember the first time you ever heard rap? Uh, yeah, well, obviously, LL Cool J, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Bigger and deafer. Uh, uh, before that, 
I don't know. There was a few, few, few bits and bobs. Vague. I, I can't really remember, but I think that was where it really got me. You know what I mean? So, who were the sort of first UK rappers that were on your radar or that were happening? They're popping off around then. Oh God, there wasn't any really. You got you had stuff like Derek B. Uh, what else? God, that was about it really. Um, but you know, I didn't really rate him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I remember Roots Maneuver, I guess, was... Roots Maneuver, oh, God, they were, they were like, years years later. But yeah, years Roots later, Maneuver, yeah. Yeah, Roots Maneuver definitely were, uh, uh, you know, he had a real, really good, strong voice. I think he, uh, he was also, like, the first guy that I can remember, you know, showing up here in sort of a big way, like, big enough that it got on my very uh, limited radar at the time. You oh, know, right, like okay, yeah. Like, yeah. He, he'd, I'm trying to remember, they had, the, like, the a track with Left Field that I think charted over here and kind of, like... Yeah, it felt like it. that was breaking through a little bit. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, at the time, he was kind of an underground voice, but um, yeah, whenever you heard him, it was like it was really something. He really married himself to the times. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I remember I lived in the UK for a year, and uh, Big Daddy magazine, and there was just like you know going to a lot of the record stores. It felt like it was like really kind of on the rise and sort of the 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 mid 90s like that's when rap culture really kind of took hold in the uk am i misreading it as someone just no visiting? completely no completely right you know it kind of really did you know uh it, but it wasn't until sort of the early 2000s late 90s early 2000s that it started morphing into something uh something absolutely you know completely solid you know what i mean mm-hmm. Who who do you think was the artist that really broke through? Was it like the rise of grime, or what was the? the yeah, I think it was kind of like the people before that um, stuff, like So Solid Crew, uh, and uh, you know, up to a certain degree, the Streets. Uh, you know, kind of artists like that uh, that were hinting towards it. You know, dubstep. Uh, you know, MCs like gliding over those kind of things. I'm not a massive um, expert on it, but it was it was starting to pull up with those kind of things, definitely. So I, I guess going back to, you know, your kind of journey in music, when did Unity Crescent come together and how did that band come together? Oh, wow, bloody hell. You've been doing your own work, haven't you? Um, it's, it's actually, it's amazing how, like, obviously, you know, what you're doing now with Sleaford Mods is completely different, but at the same yeah. time, like, your your voice is there in that project. Yeah, yeah. Well, starting to it was starting to form more. Yeah, I was using more spoken word. Uh, that was that was I was I was sort of experimenting with more electronic outfits. And Unity Crescent was uh, was one of the ones that I was doing just before I discovered the formula for Sleeve of Mods. Uh, yeah, great. You know, I mean, um, it, it, it we kind of it didn't last too long, but um. I definitely was getting an idea around that period. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. What kind of scene were you guys playing into or, or were there like other bands that were kind of doing the same thing? Uh, not really. No, no, no. And I kind of, you know, was a little bit influenced by the streets and, and stuff like that, etc. a bit of Baxter jury. Uh, but um, no, at the time, no, no, there wasn't anyone around doing a similar thing in within my vicinity anyway. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. So, like, what kind of art artists and groups would you play with? God, anything really. Anybody that would put me on, you know what I mean? I, we, I, you know, towards the stage where I just before I met Andrew, I was supporting a lot of noise artists in Nottingham, uh, and I'd been kind of, you know, 
picked up by promoters within the noise scene because what I was doing was a little bit, you know, sort of avant-garde or whatever. I don't know. People thought he was a bit weird. So I kind of, I kind of suited the kind of noise, you know, supporting noise artists and stuff. So, uh, so yeah. It's Nottingham, such an amazing city. Like, you know, we've obviously talked about the, uh, the earache stuff that comes out of there, but there's like that huge noise scene. There's like a great punk hardcore scene out of there too. I didn't know actually. I mean, I, I, I was not aware of noise until they drafted me in with all these people. Like, <laughs> what the fuck's this? <laughs> What's this noise? But yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it was a great time, really. It was, uh, it was, it really spoke to me. You know, the energy of it, the originality of it, as well, and and the DIY nature of it, and just the just the kind of general "fuck you" attitude of it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we're going to do what we want to do. You know what I mean? Uh, which I really, really liked. Well, it's it's, and that's something that definitely comes across in Sleaford Mods. Like, obviously, when you started, you, there was probably no expectation of where it would go. No, I just I just purely fell in love with the uh, creative process of it, and I just thought that I found my own voice in it. And um, I was convinced it was going to go all the way, you know, initially, and then that soon <laughs> soon changed. <laughs> <laughs> that soon changed. I had that beaten out of me, um, but uh, I just kept going, you know, because I, it was the only thing I knew how to do that made me feel like I was expressing myself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like it. Uh, going back to the kind of like the the Nottingham kind of scene and all these different bands happening, it's amazing mm-hmm. how many cool record stores there are. There used to be that really good. Well, used to be, but there used to be that great record store on the high street that had like a lot of a lot of rap records, had a lot of noise records too. And then there's that weird record store in an alleyway. That's yeah, 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 I know packed what you mean. Rafters. Uh huh. Selector, selector disc, and Dave's records. I think Dave's is still there. I'm not sure. Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad that Dave survived. It oh, actually, like... no, it's, it's Rob's records, actually. What Rob's selling? records. Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah. And then there was Selector Disc. Uh, so, um, yeah, both of them are gone, I think. Although I might, I'm, I think Rob's is still, I'm not sure, actually. But uh, yeah, they were great. You know, it was a great time for music in, in all aspects. Uh, I think now, obviously, the industry's changed completely, but, uh, you know, creativity finds a way, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I guess going back to when Sleaford Mods started, like, how how did you guys kind of come together? Uh, I just met Andrew supporting a noise guy from Los Angeles, John something, I forgot his name now. Uh, and, um, you know, I was having a cigarette outside and there was this music playing. I was like, what is that? At the time, I was looking for something more original to work with because I was using samples. Uh, and so my antennae was out, so to speak. I went back upstairs and this guy behind the deck with his mate and I, and I introduced myself and uh, that was Andrew. And I said, who's this? And he said, it's me. Uh, and He said, it's a remix of uh, George Michael's Careless Whisper. Uh, and I, I couldn't believe it. I was I was like, would well, you want to get together? You know, and he, he was a little bit apprehensive at first, but... Um, yeah, we got it sorted. It's so. And how long was that before that first CDR demo kind of comes out? The, the I, mysterious. I think it was about a year, probably a bit longer, probably okay. a year and a half. Uh, and we got the CDR out called Wank, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it, it kind of steamrolled after that. Really, was it, was it almost immediately after that came out that things started happening? Because like, no, no, we got the attention of our old manager Steve who was part of the noise 
crowd who were putting acts on and stuff. I think he heard me one night when we were, it was the night actually I met Andrew, funnily enough. Uh, and um, it was a couple of months later that he approached me and, and asked me if I wanted to release a, a record. And so uh, obviously me and Andrew were over the moon about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh uh, and uh, you know that's where that's where it came from, really. So, was that the Wank demo, or is that the uh, first seven inch? No, that was the album Wank, and uh, that was that was something me and Andrew did on our own. But um, it was a bit confusing at first because I was going to do something with somebody else, and then that fell through. Uh, and so me and Andrew sort of got some new demos together. Uh, and Steve turned around and said, well, why don't you use tracks from Wank and these new tracks you got that you and Andrew have been working with and make a new album? And so that was Austerity Dogs. Uh, and that's how it went, really. You know, it was quite a, quite an incredible thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of like, was the British press on board right away? Because that's like, obviously no, such it t- a... It took, it took a while. It took a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was uh, I don't know. We went. To, we had to go and tour in Europe first. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and when uh, you know, we got we got a gig at a, uh, a festival called the Crack Festival in Belgium. It was like a kind of expo for interesting acts around Europe, and so it would draw all the promoters, all the notable promoters from in and around Europe, the kind of DIY indie promoters. Uh, and we were we went down really well, and after that weekend, we got loads of bookings, tons of bookings. And so, when Europe started to take notice, the the UK press started to take notice, uh, and we got a few gigs in London at more kind of notable venues, uh, the old Blue Last uh, places like that, and uh, that's when it started kicking off. It's funny with the old blue last too. Like that's that's a venue that obviously you know it's it's gone now, right? They they closed it down. I think. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Is it? Is it? I think. I, th- I don't know actually. Yeah, I heard something like that, but I'm not sure. But it's just amazing how many bands like kind of like played shows and kind of like that was like almost like a launching pad for a while in London. Oh God, yeah. You know, um, we played there, and it was like because it was filling up as we were playing. It kept filling up, filling up, and it was sold out in the end. Uh, and you just you just felt like something was kicking off, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which which, as you can imagine, was just brilliant. So, oh yeah, no, that's definitely. I remember playing there for the first time, and that was like the the moment where I'm like, this band thing might work. It's like this could actually yeah, sure, do sure, something. Sure. So. Completely, completely. Um, it's it's also wild how like you know different the music scene is there in london like having talked to a lot of people just how many managers are involved like it feels like it's Uh like a real industry town and there's very few places that you know like a band that's just trying to do their thing can kind of play what in london do you mean yeah like i've just had so many artists from london on that talk about the fact that they had a manager like you know when they were like by the time they were 17 with their band and like just how you know they're playing showcase shows and they're they're Mm. you know playing label showcases and things like that it just feels like it's a a lot more of a music industry kind of town yeah definitely i think uh yeah it's kind of the hub of it 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 Mm -hmm. still remains so you know but obviously with the introduction of the internet bands are you know you don't necessarily have to just go to london now you can you can pretty much be discovered in a small town in scotland you know what i mean Mm -hmm. if there's enough if there's enough traction uh from from whatever music you're releasing you know what i mean 
Absolutely. And there doesn't have to be a scene anymore. You know, like, it's just like, you can kind of just do your own thing and it could take off. Yeah. I think kind of scenes are getting lesser and lesser, aren't they? You know, yeah. Uh, probably grime uh, was a more, was a less notable one. I mean, there's talk of a post punk scene in England, but I, t- I, I really don't see it to be honest. Um, do you know what I mean? I don't know. You know, uh, people might, people like putting tags on things, but um, uh, I, I necessarily don't, I don't really see it. Well, like you're saying, it's almost like you can put a tag on something because it doesn't have to be geographically located. Like when you talked about the earache scene, it's like, that was a very specific regional thing sure. that was kind of kicking off. And sure. yeah, like you can just kind of have a bunch of bands and be like, Oh, this is a scene, but they're all, all over the place. They have no connection. Sure. To yeah, definitely. You know, I think uh, I think when we came out, there was us and there was Fat White Family and there was a couple of other bands that kind of kicked off a new kind of re- musical consciousness uh, within indie, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but yeah, you're dead right. It, it, it doesn't have to all be in one place at one time and they don't always have to have similar sounds. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's like, uh, I don't know, like, well, that's what like punk was originally, right? Like the fact that you had John Cooper Clark and then you would have the jam and you would have, you know, the sex pistols and they all kind of fall uh-huh. under the banner of punk. Sure. Sure. Definitely. There's just something about all of those things that aligns them. Obviously being there at the same time, same place, obviously being contemporary, fresh, a bit more edgier than, than what was on offer before that all, that all can uh, contribute to being, you know, to, 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 to all these very different bands being tagged together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So how did the relationship with X missed records come about? Cause that's a, a classic hardcore label. Uh, yeah. I mean, that again was for our old manager, Steve, who, uh, he knew all these people. So, uh, when we were releasing stuff, it was just a case. He just got his phone out and, hooked us up with whoever to press a record so it would hit a certain part of Germany or a certain mm-hmm. part of France or whatever, you know what I mean? So uh, it really worked for those early, early stuff. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And you guys have like such an extensive discography too, like so many singles and, and different EPs and stuff. Yes. Yes. Cassettes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, we're just kicking stuff out, properly kicking it out. And, uh, <laughs> You know, in hindsight, if it would have been be- better marketed, I think we'd have been a bigger band today. Do you know what I mean? But uh, but that's the way it goes, isn't it? Uh, yeah, like it's 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 weird how it works. You know, like it's almost like a lottery where you can kind of like step up there, but if it just doesn't break the right way, you know, the career goes a different path. Not that you guys aren't massively successful and been able to kind of like carve out, you know, like your own space in this world. Sure, sure. Sure, definitely. I think, but as you get on in the industry and you look at what becomes really big very quickly, uh, for 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 kicking out what is primarily middle of the road stuff, you just think to yourself, yeah, well, you know, if that if that proper insight had been there from the start, perhaps things could have been slightly different. But um, how different do you want them? You know, we're living a great life. You know what I mean? So <laughs> you can't really complain. Yeah. And also it's just, it's amazing how much like, you know, once you get in the music industry and you find out the stories, you realize like how much of the stuff that you thought was organic was actually like weird machinations happening behind the scenes. And this band wasn't actually on this label. It was just like a deal so they could have indie cred before they signed right to the major type thing. Like it's just so much of that cloak and dagger stuff, even now, you know, and it's like, even with bands that are, you know, that you can't really argue that aren't doing, 
that haven't got a great message, but you still think, yeah, there's still some showbiz going off there. You know? And I think showbiz is a part of it. You have to have a mm-hmm. bit of that because that's unavoidable. You know, you have to, you have to have marketing. You've got to have some kind of PR, obviously. But you just, I, I just think sometimes directions are, are made uh, in order to get bigger, simply just get bigger, which, you know, is, uh, I'm not necessarily sure sometimes that's, that's, that's the right thing. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, that's, you know, it's, you know, you choose your path, right? Like you're either like an artist that does whatever it sure. takes to get as popular sure. as possible or you're, sure. you're yourself. Sure. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of these bands these days are having these like big collabs, lobbing it on there and still passing themselves off as integral when you know these collabs are just like product placement and mm-hmm. it's just going to shove their album into playlists it's going to make it it's going to give them a bigger audience but at, at, at the expense i think of the quality of the music you know what i mean it's just it's just not entertaining it's not it loses some of that sharpness you know what i mean but this goes back too, right like you know you hear stories about creation and oasis like you know you hear stories about like all these things where it's, this is just like, this is the music industry fuckery that will always exist. Oh God. Yeah. Fucking hell. Big time. You know, I think, I don't know with Oasis, they had a life, they had a bit of a lifespan for a couple of years and then, yeah, it wasn't happening after that. It just got a bit too, just a bit too, yeah, bit weird. Just a bit, (laughs) you know, just a bit dinner time, didn't it? You know what I mean? So um but yeah i hear you definitely you know it's you get a lot of this shit all of the time and yeah. i think you but it is still possible to resist a lot of that and still have a sizable presence you know what i mean well i think you guys are a testament to that like you know yeah. like and, and i'm not just saying this because i'm on the phone with you like i'll tell talk to people about this too that like you know your band is proof that if you do what your sound is and you do it your own way you can carve space and 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 you know and accomplish it and make your band a thing thank you i mean we'd like to think so you know what i mean it, it sometimes does your head in uh, yeah. <laughs> but but a lot, but most of the time it's really rewarding you know what i mean yeah no i think any level of press especially you know with like you know the uk music press and at the time you know now it's not the same thing as a few years ago but like it, it is like an acquired brain injury after a while like you know it's just it does your head in as you said like you end up double thinking yourself and triple thinking yourself because people are watching all the time. Yeah. And there's no right or wrong either. (laughs) It's like people have too, you know, opinions are like arseholes. Everyone's got one, aren't they? So it doesn't matter if you played, played by the, by the moral code book completely. Uh, Somebody's always going to have something negative to say about you, you know? So if you can ride that shit, you're laughing, I think. Yeah, well, that's the other thing, right? Like, it's as much as it's a lottery, it's also like a, a war of attrition. Like, can you survive long enough for people to go back and look back at your group and, and retroactively be like, okay, they, they were right? Yeah, this is it. And I think you can. It's, it's possible. It really is. You've just got to have your antennae set for it. And, you know, you've just got to be cool about it all the time. And I know that's a bit of a cheesy word, but it's right. You've, mm-hmm. got, to be, you've got to be cool with it. And, um, you know, so many people aren't. They're just like... This is bollocks. What are you talking about? You're just, you're kidding yourself. Shut up. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's like no, I'm seeing through this. Shut up. <laughs> uh, Jason, this has been awesome. Anytime you want to come back on this podcast, the door's always open. Oh, bless you. I'm sure I'd love to. You know, we'll get, we'll get it together next year or so. Thank you, Jason, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Jason will be back. 
for a part two at some point in the future. But before that, check out their brand new album, Spare Ribs, in stores now on Rough Trade Records. And since we're talking about the future coming up in a few short days on this podcast, in the future on this podcast is Alison Braun, a.k.a. Mouse, a legendary photographer. If you do not know her by name, you certainly will know her by image that she has created, some of the most iconic West Coast punk images are, are are from her lens. And we will talk about that. We talk about, she's got amazing stories. Next week, this next episode, sorry, next week, this next episode with her is a doozy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a fun one. It's a fun one. Get excited. Get amped for that. And that is it. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous people matter. We need to protect trans kids and, and help trans people protect themselves. Uh, go out there right now, get informed, show up for protests, demonstrations, uh, donate money if you can to, to causes and just, just get involved. Smash fascism. Fuck that Nazi stuff as like, ugh, disgusting. Uh, also go there and make your own culture. It really does help. You know, you don't have to, to put it out there for the world, but you know, go there make music, draw, do something, just, just exercise that part of your mind. And, uh, it really does help with mental health stuff too. And anyone can do this. Anyone can make a podcast. I got to make that, how to make a podcast episode soon. I will, but it's so easy that I just keep struggling with like how to, how to start it because really there's some costs involved. Anyway, we'll get into it on that episode, but go there and make your own culture in the meantime, a a fanzine, you know, fanzines are the best medium in the world. I was looking through my fanzine collection today and, and, a lot of work, a lot of work to make them, but even just planning to make a fanzine can be fun and creative. You know, I've definitely wasted countless periods of my life doing that with groups of people. So, uh, and, uh, oh, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them. It's just literally dead weight at that point. So sign those cards and, and give someone else, uh, you know, uh, a gift of, uh, of life with that. And, uh, the, the wear a mask, wear a mask. Checking on your friends, and uh, I will see you next episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.